Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. In this episode I caught up with Serie A expert Connor Clancy to discuss his beloved Atalanta. Atalanta have just qualified for the Champions League for the first time in their history, so here's what Connor had to say about the club. Hello and welcome to the show, Connor. So, so we've invited um, invited you on today to discuss um, Atalanta. Obviously, they've had a fantastic season in uh, Serie A Champions League football for the first ever time. So, um, we thought we'd get you on, and obviously, the the obvious question straight away is, how does a guy from Ireland start supporting Atalanta? Um, yeah, it's a question I get asked quite often. Obviously, living out here in Parma, and people find out I like Italian football, they assume that I support Parma and then when I tell them I support Atalanta I get a few weird looks and I have to answer this question so it's a well-versed story but I was writing for still am writing for ForzItalianFootball.com and we used to do meetups out in Italy like twice a season the first one I ever came to we we went to Milan Udinese at the San Siro on Saturday evening for the first game of the weekend and this was when it was peak banter era Milan. So Kevin Constant, Sully Montari, you know, the lineups that you see tweeted every once in a while. And Milan beat Udinese 1-0 through a Walter Bierce goal. And the atmosphere was horrendous. The team was terrible. And it was a terrible, terrible first game of Italian football. I spent most of my time enjoying the San Siro. So the next morning we went up to Bergamo on about an hour's sleep and got the Bergamo, it was foggy, rainy, horrible, late October morning, and we trotted up to the stadium to get tickets sorted, I haven't been in touch with one of the ex-ultras and stuff, and we got there and we were just thinking, where are we, this place looks horrible, stadium's an absolute dump, and then we got inside and the stadium was even worse, but the atmosphere was just ridiculous, the Atalanta fans are mental, and Atalanta beat Lazio 2-1 with a late goal from German Dennis and the place just went absolutely crazy and that was kind of it and then the more I learned about the, the team I got assigned the weekly club focus article about Atalanta so I was writing about them every week and then my affection just kind of grew quite naturally from there and it's not stopped growing since. It's quite interesting you mentioned the, the ultras and stuff as well and the fans. It, it always does seem to be one of the clubs that you hear about in Italy is, is having a, a very strong uh, fan base and, and noisy place to go. Yeah, well, it's the stereotype. Like in England, you've got a wet and windy Wednesday night in Stoke. In, in Italy, it's a, a cold Saturday evening in Bergamo is the real test of character. So, obviously, Atalanta Champions League football so like how does how does that sound to you how does it make you feel then as, as a fan honestly i still can't quite believe that it's true because everything in these last three seasons has just been completely new not only for me as a relatively new supporter of what six years but for the club because the the record points tally in Serie A was was 52 points until gasparini came in that he smashed it got 72 points in his first season this despite nearly being sacked after five games. and then He surpassed 52 points again last season and again this. So everything that's happening is completely novel. And I'm not actually going to believe that they're in the Champions League until I see the draw, probably. And I see them drawn against someone like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool. Then it will start to feel real. But because they've had the 
the taste of European football at the Europa League in the last two seasons. It kind of just feels at the moment like it's going to be something similar. But obviously, the the stature and the status of the clubs they're coming up against is going to be quite dramatically different. Obviously, the um, as you sort of say, you know, like it wasn't something you know they they're probably you started supporting the club, thinking you know big night, big champions like Knights and all of say, and you're looking at a different sort of level there, and like sort of just looking like back over at Atlanta, like sort of between I think it was two thousand and two thousand eleven. Like there was five promotions, did five years in the bottom half of the league, then just suddenly fourth, seventh, third. So like, what what was the ma- what was the major factor to, to that change? It's I don't know if it's too simplistic to say, but it's it's just Gasparini. He's a phenomenon, and everything that he says, everyone at the club completely buys into. And I'm always quick to remind people of the season before Gasparini took over. And the complete contrast between what that was and what Gasparini implemented. Eddie Reha was in charge. And I'm not sure if the listeners will be too familiar with Eddie Reha's type of football, which it's basically we don't try and score goals. We, we try and draw every game nil-nil. And if we get a goal from a corner or something, then fantastic. And German Dennis was coming to the end of his career, definitely the end of his time in Italy. He couldn't move. And he was playing as a lone striker with everyone else behind him. And it was some of the most turgid football I've ever seen. It was difficult to tune in and watch Atalanta every week and to come over to go to games knowing that what you were going to see was going to be terrible. But then Gasp came in and his first five games didn't really go too well. I think, did they win one? I think they won one of the first five in Serie A and then there was a meeting between Gasparini and the club. And he said, look, just let me do things my way. Let me play the kids and we'll see what happens. So Percassi said, yeah, do what you want. So the kids came in, not straight away, but they were starting to be integrated like Caldara, Gagliardini, Spinazzola, Conti, Kessie. They were all kind of getting a bit of a run. And then things just kind of kicked on. They really, really took off. The kids showed that they were able to play and they still had that experience alongside them. Andrea Maziello at the back, kind of holding the hands of Conti, Spinazzola and Caldara. And it's just been unbelievable. I think whenever I talk about Gasparini, I kind of just lose the run of myself. But it's not only the kids that he's, he's given these chances to. It's players who have threatened to be good, threatened to be really, really top players, but haven't quite made it. And then they've come to Atalanta and be given this second life. Like Andrea Patania, who's now at Spal and being linked with a return to Atalanta, as well as being linked to clubs like, I've seen West Ham linked with them. Um, Brian Cristante broke through at Milan, then was kind of shipped off to Benfica, Pescara, I think somewhere else, Palermo. Never quite did it. He went to Atalanta and then got a 30 million move to Roma. Leonardo Spinazzola is another one. And it's just, yeah, Gasparini's... I don't know what he actually does to these players, what he says to them, but everyone that he touches improves. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to name a player who's come to Atalanta, with the exception of Ali Adnan in the last couple of seasons, who hasn't improved when given regular minutes under Gasparini. The, um, the Atalanta story, kinda obviously, because of uh, how it's kind of changed over the last couple of years, 
um, as somebody that's like a more or less like a sort of casual um, follower of Italian football, you've obviously got your sort of big major clubs. Like I started watching Italian football in the nineties whenever you know you maybe had six or seven teams that were spending a lot of money and, and had a lot of class players. And then there's kind of like a tier of teams who maybe aren't on that level. And I would always have kind of had Atalanta in there somewhere. Where you're, you know, they're obviously not in that sort of top tier, and then obviously 2017 they kind of came, like obviously they finished fourth in the league, done really well, but it sort of felt like Inter and AC. I think they they lost like about four players. I think that Kessie, Conte, Bastoni, Cagliardini, all went to AC and Inter, and it sort of felt a wee bit to me like the story was going to be right. Well, they had a good season. The, the big clubs have just basically took all the talent and. Obviously, they, they they dropped off a wee bit yesterday, their last season to finish seventh, but then to come back to third. So, do you think that a lot of that is to do with like the board letting um, Gasparini do what he wanted, and uh, or do, do you think like is there some other reason why that they were able to sort of let them players go and still maintain a high level? I think it's hard to put it down to just one thing, but I'm gonna go back to Gasparini again because he's. He hasn't been entirely happy with the signings that the club have made. So last summer, he was trying to strong-arm the club into making a few signings. They didn't, but he still made what he could with the players that were available to him. So Hans Hattabor is a good example. Um, the, the fallback position is so important in this Atalanta team. The, the first season they qualified for, the, for Europe, they finished fourth. And Leonardo Spinazzola on the left and Andrea Conti on the right contributed with a lot of goals and assists, and they were always attacking. Last season, Hatabor on the right just wasn't up to scratch. He wasn't good enough to fill Conti's boots. And a lot of people who watch Atalanta regularly appreciated the work and his tireless effort, but he didn't quite have it. And he'd find himself in similar positions to what Conti did, but he could never quite capitalise on it. He, he chose the wrong pass or he couldn't finish. And then this season, he's combined goals and assists to contribute 10 goals to the team. And he's just looked a completely different player. And then on the left, it's been a bit of a rotation between Robin Gussens and Timothy Castagna, who is really a, a right wing back. And he's able to play on the left. And Gasparini has just got these players to do exactly what he needs them to do. They're just on the same wavelength as everyone else in the team. Everyone just seems to be able to do their jobs with their eyes closed. And it's just a sign of how well-trained they are. And the thing about this season's team is there aren't many youth team players in there at all. So this isn't, these aren't the players who have come through with the fabric of the club and learned this system, this style, since they were kids. A lot of these players only arrived a year ago. And Gasparini has managed to just mould them into exactly what he needs them to be. One of the players you mentioned there, um, Castagna, I remember like it, it was only, I think it was January, that uh, there was like rumours and talks that he was possibly going to be going to Celtic, and then all of a sudden they sort of seemed to, to get into the team, and uh, he really, you know, obviously has, has gone on to, from strength there, so I, I presume he, he's there for the long haul now, he's definitely got his place back and everything, obviously I think he's, you say then he switched to left back rather than right back. Yeah, well he's He's kind of been in and out with Gosens. In the first half of the season, Robin Gosens kind of had the position locked down. And then, as you said, that Celtic move was quite close, as far as I know. Uh, I yeah. think Castagna had actually agreed with Celtic that he was happy to go. But then Atalanta 
didn't want to let him go. So Gasparini said he'd give him more minutes. And Castani went on to be one of the most important players in the second half of the season. If he wasn't wasn't playing, I don't think Atalanta would have got to the Coppa Italia final. I don't think they would have qualified for the Champions League. And he's a very, very good player. He's always shown that he's talented. He has bulked up a lot in the last 12 months. And I think that's probably quite helpful for the way Atalanta play. Uh, but yeah, he's he's very, very important. So, so far, the departures, are, there hasn't been too much. Obviously, they've got some money back for players who were out on loan anyway last season. But are you concerned that there, are, there might be some, some of the players that uh, might move on to other clubs? Or do you think the Champions League football is going to be enough to make them stay? I don't necessarily think the Champions League would make them stay because Josip Ilicic was kind of having a bit of a sulk after the season to say that the club need to bring in bigger players or I'm off and Napoli wanted them. But I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, Percassi, Antonio Percassi, the president, came out and said there's no way Papu and Ilicic are leaving. But basically everyone else is on the market. And if if someone comes and pays 50 million euro for Duvan Zapata, he will be sold. But I'm not sure if he wants to go. Luis Muriel has obviously come in. And one of mm-hmm. the first things that Muriel said after signing, that probably the most interesting thing he said had nothing to do with him. He said that he spoke to Zapata before coming in. And Zapata has fallen in love with the club and with the city. And when Atalanta fans hear, they're very proud of their city, Bergamo. And when they hear that you're in love with the club and also the city, they kind of love you a little bit more. So that has kind of been taken as a as Zapata's here to stay type comment and I don't see why Zapata would leave right now forgetting the Champions League football he's been something of a a nearly man for the last few years he's had this promise but it's never quite shown and then in this Atalanta team with the chances he's getting served from Papu and Ilicic and the fullbacks he's scoring goals and I don't know. I think he could do with another year at Atalanta and then see if he's actually got the ability that he's shown this year because if he does, he's going to go for even bigger money and he could go to anyone in the world if he scores another 25 goals this season. So, um, as you say, Luis Muriel has already come in and Marco Vernier has arrived. I think he's he's arrived from Serie B. So what what are you thinking? What's your thoughts on them? And do you think there's there's going to be many more players come in? I think there will be because I don't think Gasparini would have signed the new contract if he wasn't told that new players would come in. But I don't really know where they're going to come in because the team as it is is quite strong. And I think the strength of Atalanta is that they don't have any superstars, which is when I saw the links to Muriel, I was quite... Oh, I don't know what word I'm really looking for. Not sceptical, but not entirely convinced by it. Because I think Atalanta's strength is that they, they have a big man up front. Like Zapata, before that they had Cornelius and Petania. And I wasn't opposed to the idea of Petania coming back as a backup to Zapata. But Muriel gives them a completely different option. And if they're looking to play more on the counter-attack, I think Muriel, Papu and Elicic could be quite frightening attacking three but yeah more players are needed Varnier is supposed to be quite a talent I, I will confess I've not seen much of him playing for Gitadella in Serie B but you've just got to trust the club because every time they make signings they work they brought in Remo Freuler Timothy Castagna Hans Hattabor and I, I knew nothing about them even 
Berra at Gym City as well. And he was loaned out to Benevento. He's come back now and he's become a really, really important player in the back three. Uh, Jose Luis Palomino was in, where was he? He was Eastern Europe somewhere and he got brought in. And They really know what they're doing. They scout players properly before they sign them. And they don't bring players in unless they're fully confident that they will offer something. And Gasparini just, <laughs> he's he's got a way of turning anything into gold. So obviously you've uh, made your, your feelings clear on, on Gasparini. So what about the actual sort of players, individual players and stuff in the team? You know, Zapata, uh, 23 goals, which obviously is a great uh, return in Serie A especially. Um, all our players that sort of whenever I uh, managed to catch Atalanta that stood out were obviously Gomez and Ilicic. How important were they or is, is there anybody else that you would sort of consider to be a, a main factor in the in the success? Do you know what, I, I think about this often and I end up losing the run of myself and naming nine of the starting 11. But Papu is, Papu Gomez is uh, unbelievable. He's an absolute phenomenon. It doesn't really make sense that he's at Atalanta because he's got the talent to play anywhere. And I really, really think if he was at Barcelona, he could have an impact. He wouldn't start, but he would be a player that they could rely on to come off the bench. He could play at any club in the world. and. He's choosing to stay with Atalanta. Last summer, he had offers from from Milan, from Napoli, from Lazio, and he stayed, which, as captain, it just made everyone love him that little bit more. But Ilicic gets a lot of credit, and I think that kind of suits Atalanta because Papu is the real danger man. Ilicic, when he's amazing, he's incredible. He's otherworldly. You can't really describe how good he is. And... There's that thing about a tall left footer as well, that everything he does just looks so much more elegant and more eye-catching. But he's at his best maybe seven, ten times a season, whereas Gomez does it 35 times a season. And for me, that's the difference. But forgetting the guys who create the chances, actually, even with creating chances, it's the, the two guys at fullback again, whether it's Gustins or Castagna on the left and Hathabur on the right. They, they never stop. It's unbelievable the amount of ground they cover. They're just always in the right place. They're always getting to the byline and getting back. Then in midfield, the, the two players who allow the fullbacks to do what they do and allow for the, the forwards to do what they do are Martin Darun and Remo Freuler, who are probably, with Papu, the two first names on the team sheet because they just make everything tick. Darun is more sacrificial he doesn't tend to join in the attacks as much as Freuler, but when he does, he's he's improved a lot in the last couple of seasons with his his choice of pass, his technical ability. Because before he was he went to the Premier League to join Middlesbrough for a season, and he was more of a destroyer in midfield. But now he's he's very much kind of fine tuned his technical ability, and I think that has a lot to do with Gasparini as well. But Freuler is just as important, and then. At the back, Andrea Maziello, who a lot of people will know for his previous indiscretions in Italian football's darker days, we say. Um, but he is just, if you saw him play now, you wouldn't think he was the same player because there's no one that fights for the team as much as he does. And he's a great presence to have there, especially when you have young guys coming through defensively, like in previous years, Caldara, Conti, Spinazzola. This season, we've got Gianluca Mancini. Even Barrett at Gym City as well. And 
Maziello's just there to hold their hands. Jose Luis Palomino's another. He's a little bit headless, but he's, he kind of works because Atalanta play this weird system. It's a 3-4-3 on paper, but it's not really because whenever they go forward, one of the centre-backs goes forward too. And it's usually Maziello or Mancini, whereas Palomino or Jim City are the, the two who are more likely to stay back. And it's hard to pick an individual because they can't do that if they've not got Freuler and Darun in front of them and they've not got the legs of the, the fullbacks to track back. And even Papu Gomez and Ilicic defend a lot and they don't always get the credit for it. So once you start picking individuals, you end up saying, oh, but they can only do this because this person can do this. And the only individual that stands out head and shoulders above the rest is the captain, Alejandro Papu Gomez. It's interesting, obviously, you're talking about, you know, it being hard to, you know, separate and that they're, they're sort of more like the some other parts. And again, you know, that probably goes back to Gasparini. You know, he's built a system that works. He's got players there and he, they're all familiar with their role and know know what their, their job is. But um one of the game one of the games I watched at Atlanta this season was the Coppa Italia game against Juventus. <laughs> and that that night I, I watched them and like it it wasn't just like you know like they weren't like it wasn't a lucky win. Like they properly beat them and beat them well. Um obviously they didn't go on and, and seal the, the cup the cup win the, the Coppa Italia victory. But um how much how much did sort of did it did it hurt the, the club, do you think, or you know, to actually not be able to, to successfully go on and win the cup final after doing what they've done to Juventus? At the time, it, it hurt. I went down to Rome for this game and thankfully not on working duties. So I was in, in with the fans. And the atmosphere afterwards was like something I have never seen before. Lazio were presented with the trophy, but you wouldn't have known it was happening because the Atalanta fans were singing so loud. 22,000 people went down to Rome from Bergamo for this game. And I know that mightn't sound like a lot, but Bergamo has less than 200,000 people in the city. So it's, it's more than 10% of the city's population. And the support was just incredible. I was obviously a bit deflated after the game and I'd been sitting talking to this Italian family beside me throughout the game. And afterwards, my head was kind of in my hands and they were patting me on the back saying, come on, don't be sad. Look at this. We're going to qualify for the Champions League. We've, we've been in Europe the last two seasons. We've been in the Coppa Italia final, the la- semi-final the last two seasons. This club's going places. I kind of thought, Do you know what? That's exactly the right attitude to have. And it's exactly the attitude they've had over these last three years that have made what they've done possible. So it was absolutely heartbreaking that they didn't go on to win the final because it did seem like their name was kind of on the trophy, especially given the first half performance in that final and how they had beaten Lazio 3-1 just 10 days earlier in the Stadio Olimpico. But it wasn't to be. But who knows, maybe if they had won that, they wouldn't have gone on to qualify for the Champions League. So it's hard to know which would be better for the club in the long run. In the long run, probably Champions League football is more beneficial. But obviously, this is a club who have only won a Coppa Italia once back in 1963. And other than that, they've won a couple of Serie B titles and that's about it. But it would have been nice to end the season with a trophy. But as long as this squad and this coach are together, I don't see any reason why they can't go on and make a real, real push for the Coppa Italia next season as well. It's actually quite 
quite funny, obviously, listening to you saying about the, the cup final and obviously the disappointment and then sort of like taking the positives of it and the celebrations. And there's a, it's actually, obviously, we're, we're both we're both Irish and there's there's like mm-hmm. a sort there is almost, it feels like there's a certain Irishness to it where like, like you sort of see Ireland and like you sort of are starved of success. You don't really believe that you're probably going to win many trophies or whatever, but anywhere you go, the Irish fans always seem to be some of the best in the world. Although obviously, we'll try not to tell Roy Keane that. But, <laughs> Do you uh, know what, though? Um, th- this kind of goes back to why I started supporting Atalanta as well, because I'm from Bray. So my local team, Bray Wanderers, I grew up going to those games, season ticket holders since I was about four years old and sufferer for most of my years supporting them. And there, there's something quite similar because Bray are kind of known for bringing through these kids. They sign kids from South Dublin and Wicklow and give them a chance and then they move on elsewhere. And it's kind of like a mini version of what Atalanta do here. They never win anything. And I think that kind of helped me kind of develop that affinity for Atalanta in the beginning. Just just very briefly, whenever you say about Bray, obviously we're, we're here to, to talk about Atalanta, but just... What what is the latest with Bray now? I know obviously they had been sort of in big big trouble there sort of last season and that there and things were difficult financially. But what what is this sort of happening now or what has happened since? Uh, owners have come in and got the club doing exactly what it should have been doing for the last five years, which is trying to integrate into the town because I mean Bray's a good town as far as Irish town standards go. Bray's quite big and it's got a lot of football clubs, a lot of kids there are interested in football. Problem is a lot of people there support Shamrock Rovers because it's kind of an overspill from people who used to live in Dublin and then moved south to Wicklow. But things are good. At the moment, they're kind of smack bang in mid-table in the first division. But I would take a season or two in the first division, to be honest, just to kind of get the fans back on side, get people going to games, get people caring again. And then try get back up into the Premier Division because Bray are like Atalanta, aren't they? Historically a yo-yo team and they defied all logic by managing to stay in the Premier Division for 12 consecutive years or something, which was ridiculous. And yeah, um, I think the relegation was needed to get rid of the the people who were involved at that club, but let's not go there because I get very, very upset. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so back on then to Atalanta and uh, a more cheery subject anyway is the fact that <laughs> You sort of look at their uh, their history and obviously the, the trophies that they won. And one thing that really stands out is it, it just seems it just seems like youth tournaments, certainly since since around about nineteen ninety two thousand, they just they seem to have won an awful lot of youth tournaments. Um, I know they've just added the Primavera title this season. So, like, what are they doing differently that makes their academy stand out in Italy? Are they doing are they doing something different, or is it just a just they're working that bit harder, or, or what? What is the reasons? I think it is just more work. They really, really care, and not on. It's it goes back to the whole community thing, and Atalanta and Bergamo are inseparable, and they really, really care about every local club in the area. So I think it's maybe twice or three times a month they have open training days at the um, the Centro Bortolotti, which is the the youth academy at Zingonia, and basically local coaches from local clubs can come in and watch what's happening. And Stefano Bonacorso, who's kind of in charge of everything at the academy, just dishes out instructions and lets coaches get involved in the sessions and see what they're doing and see how to do it. And I don't know, they just really seem to care about the kids. And technique is basically given the the priority over everything. Um, I should actually give a mention to, there's a 
a really, really good article written by Alex Clapham over on these football times. And he mm-hmm. went to Zingonia and spent a day there. And the detail he goes into in that piece is phenomenal. So I'd recommend anyone listening goes over and reads that. And you'll get a really, really good insight into what happens there. But it's, they care. And I guess as far as motivation goes, players who go to Atalanta or players who grow up around Bergamo or Milan or basically just in Lombardia see that there's a path to Serie A. If Atalanta come and they say, look, we're interested in you, you've got talent, you'll really believe in it because you'll look at the history like, of the players who have come through there and you're going to think, OK, this is a club who has pedigree for putting players into Serie A and players who go on to play for Italy and do really, really good things with other clubs, if not with Atalanta. So I think a lot of it has to do with just the history of promotion and it speaks for itself. See, just you know, whenever you're mentioning about like they really care, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I'm just thinking back to whenever I was listening to one of you know the Galazzo podcasts where like yeah, yeah, James Van Horncastle and Mercati all them guys. I, I'm nearly sure there was one of the episodes and they were talking about is there something about like any child or something that's born in, in Bergamo, they they make them like automatically a member of the club or something? Is there something like that? Um, every child born in Bergamo gets can get an Atalanta shirt sent to them. So if you're born in the, the, the region of Bergamo, um, I'm pretty sure you have to fill out a form, but you basically just send off a form to the club and then the club sends you a little like package as if a stork has dropped it off and there's a little yes. box for boys and a little box for girls with a little Atalanta kit in there. And that's how you get people on your side, isn't it? It's, 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 um, it is it's quite interesting. I think I remember as well on that, in that same podcast or something I heard somewhere else as well and it was like, like the, there are people like in, in Bergamo if, if they see like some kid walking down the street wearing a Juventus top or they see her and they'll be like you know what, what are you doing kind of everything you know it's, it seems to be like a real sense of community they oh, seem to be is. really and behind the club Bergamo's an amazing city the Bergamaschi are quite interesting people they're quite cool but yeah when you go there if you go to any city in Italy you see kids walking around in Juve shirts uh, Milan shirts and Inter shirts obviously you do still get that in Bergamo but a lot less than in any other Italian city I've been to. So you see little kids walking around with Gomez number 10 on the back of an Atalanta shirt, and it's it's really, really nice to see. That's a city and football club who are the one thing. You cannot talk about one without the other. The club is as important to the city as the city is to the club, and it's it's quite rare in modern football to have that, but the connection with the fans is phenomenal as well because of that. So the uh, the fans and the, and the city and and all and obviously the you know the the ultras and that's all intense and they're going to get a wee uh, a wee boost this season with a bit of a bit of a rivalry game the pro- proper sort of rivals Brescia are back back in Syria so t- tell me about that rivalry and like is it, is it really intense or what what kind of rivalry is it? Uh, it's intense, yeah. The 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 rivals are back from the dead, uh, which is going to be quite interesting. There's going to be it's going to be exactly what you'd expect from an intense Italian rivalry next season, basically. And I'm dying to go to it. I'm going to do all I can to go to both games. Uh, maybe in Bergamo I'll buy a ticket, but in Brescia I'll try to work at it for my own safety. But yeah, it's a, a rivalry that Atalanta have not quite forgotten about, but it's become irrelevant in recent seasons because Brescia have been battling for survival in Serie B, whereas Atalanta have been qualifying for Europe and the Champions League. And it's 
was it last season or the season before, one of the local newspapers in Brescia, there was a big advertisement taken out and it basically said, applause to Atalanta. We need to forget about the rivalry and just appreciate what they're doing because at the moment they're not rivals to us. And obviously someone from Bergamo picked up on that because the two cities aren't miles apart. Like the, the two regions directly border one another, um, the two provinces rather. And obviously that was an amazing thing for Atalanta fans to read. They're playing Borussia Dortmund in the, in the Europa League knockout rounds and Brescia looking at them with envy and also appreciation, giving up on the rivalry. But yeah, it's back now. And there's going to be some good moments in that next year. And it's not going to be an easy game for Atalanta, regardless of what the strength of the two respective squads are. But if you want to, um, <laughs> I'd recommend this to you as well as the listeners. There's a great example of what this rivalry can produce from Many, many years ago, Carlo Mazzone is known for being a bit of a, a head case and he was Brescia coach. And Atalanta were playing in Brescia and they were 3-1 up. So the Atalanta fans, as ever, were giving a bit of abuse to the opposing manager. And Mazzone isn't a, a cool head. like he, he wasn't taken too kindly to it. And he's there seeing, giving them the finger and screaming back at them from his technical area. And I think... He said something like, if, if Brescia get three goals, I'm going over to you in the curva. And sure enough, Brescia pulled it back to 3-2. And then Roberto Baggio made it 3-3. And Mazzone takes off down the touchline to the Atalanta fans. And it looks like he's ready to take them on. This, this one big, hefty man in his, probably his late 60s at this point, going towards a group of crazy supporters who, who are ready for him. <laughs> and... He wasn't backing down. You see a couple of his assistants are trying to hold him back and they're just really, really struggling. But search that. Carlo Mazzone, Atalanta Brescia, and you'll get it. It's fantastic viewing, even from an Atalanta fan's perspective. But just yeah. Like, whenever, you start, whenever you sort of started saying about that there, and then I, I did, whenever he says about, about him going over, he was going to go to the curva. And I, I'm nearly sure I have, I've heard the story, but I haven't seen the picture, so I must have a look on, uh, look on YouTube and see if I can find it. I watch it on a monthly basis, mate, to be honest with you. <laughs> Excellent. So, obviously, Atalanta and the Champions League, they, they've they've reached that. You know, it's obviously, it's a great uh, a great achievement for the club. But as you know, obviously, everything in football, you're moving forward. And, you know, Champions League will be great this year. But, like, what happens after it? Like, is, is the aim at the minute to, to get back in the Champions League again? Or is it a matter of trying to win that first trophy since the, the Coppa Italia in 63? Like, what, what's the sort of aim? No. I, don't think, I don't think Atalanta can ever aim for the Champions League. I think they can definitely now aim to be in the Europa League. That should be the minimum. They should be saying, right, next season we're going to qualify for the Europa League again. Anything above that is a bonus. And... If they don't get it, they'll just try again the following year, I'm sure. But winning a trophy would be incredible. It would really, really be incredible. But next season, I don't know if they're going to have any strict expectations, you know, because it's hard to know what they can expect. They're going to be playing in the Champions League. And as crazy as it sounds, going in as fourth seeds, it wouldn't be a complete shock for them to get out of the group. And if they don't get out of the group, you'd almost expect them to qualify for the Europa League, which is crazy to say, but it's just this team. I think they're at their weakest when they're expected to do something good. And 
when they're not expected to do something good, that's when they do. Uh, it's really hard to know what the expectations will be or even should be for next season. And I think part of the beauty of this club in the last couple of seasons is that there haven't been expectations. So everything has just been amazing. Like this year was the first year where people actually expected, okay, this year we're going to qualify for the Europa League. And it wasn't going too well. So Gasparini came out in about November and said, oh, look, we're not, we're not looking at Europe. We're, we need to focus on survival this year, which was obviously not the truth. But it was just kind of a, a kick up the arse to his, his players. And, and it worked, because look at them now. They finished third, <laughs> just behind Juventus and Napoli, which every time I say it just becomes more and more ridiculous. They finished ahead of Inter, ahead of Na- ahead of. Lazio, Roma, Milan, when you combine all of the money that those clubs have spent in recent seasons, not even to mention that Atalanta have the 14th biggest wage budget in Serie A and their players get paid less than Cristiano Ronaldo alone. It's just, it, everything about it is just completely crazy. So I'm not going to put any expectations on the, on the team because I don't know where to begin. Okay. Well, um, obviously, you know, they're a team that we'll, we'll all be looking out for. Still, obviously, the Champions League qualifying starts soon. Well, obviously, uh, as one of the, the Serie A sides, they're, they're straight into the group stage, which obviously is a boost mm. as well. Um, but uh, certainly, whenever the draw comes out, obviously, I think it's probably we're talking at least two or two months now. I think it's usually sort of the end of August, very early yeah. September. So. But uh, we'll keep uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out for Atlanta and obviously what they're doing, and hopefully they can. Uh, they can build on their success, but I just uh, I just wanted to say thanks very much for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, the story about Atalanta and and how you how you became a fan and, and your insight into the club. So no, no problem uh, at all. But just while you're saying that, something that I've not I've neglected to say, which is criminal, that Atalanta are are worth watching not just because of the story. They play really really good football as well. They scored more goals than anyone else in Serie A last season, and even if it doesn't go well. It's interesting because it's entertaining and it makes me pull my hair out. But if you don't support them, they are well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. So, yeah, I'd absolutely endorse that message. I would, def- I would definitely say from watching them the, a few times now, my background would mostly be in La Liga. And there's the old saying and the old hashtag there from sort of last season and stuff. It was like, always watch best, but Atalanta's... Kind of one of them teams as well, you know. You you know you're you're going to get entertained. They're not one of these teams that's just going to knock it about and and uh, for for the sake of it, they're going to have a, a reason, a purpose. And as you say, they scored more goals, so definitely, you know, they're uh, they're there to they're there to be watched. And and uh, you just don't know in European football, you know, things like that can like a, t- a team certainly even like the likes of X, you know, surprise a lot of football yeah. and they're well coached at that level. If you get, I I think you know. Yeah, everybody's a good team, but then the difference is how well you're coached, and you know they're they're very well drilled. So I, I do I definitely think that there's a chance they could get out of the groups. Obviously, they could end up walking into a nightmare, like uh, like you can end up with like PSG and and uh, Real Madrid or something. Which obviously, on, on one hand, you know, great for the fans and and getting to see, but it's not necessarily great for progress. But mm. um. But yeah, it's you know it's it's all new. It's it's a great experience for the club, and as I say, I wish he's well. Thank you very much. Okay, so thanks very much for coming on, and uh, as I say, hopefully, uh, hopefully, as the story progresses, and maybe next season, whenever after the Champions League draw, whenever whenever the Champions League's gone, we can get you on again and 
and hear about how it's going on that, okay? Absolutely. I'm always happy to talk about Atalanta. Always. Okay. Thanks for your time, Connor. Thank you. Cheers, mate. That was Connor Clancy discussing Atalanta. That's all we have time for in this episode. So until next week, thanks for listening.